I'm Frank Gallagher, host of Soundman Confidential. It's showtime. Plug in. Alan McGee is from Glasgow. We both got kicked off of building sites in Scotland for taking the piss. Then we get into the music business. Like myself, Alan moved to London and got stuck in. Creation happened. Bands that defined a generation came out of the label he started. The Jesus and Mary Chain, Primal Scream, and Oasis to name but a few. We both love the live show. It's where the magic happens. So get the tea and shortbread out for my wild blether with Alan McGee of Creation Records fame. Hey Frank, can you hear me? I can hear you new Alan, aye? Yeah, brilliant man, brilliant. Are you getting on? Fantastic. Where, where are you calling me from? <laughs> are, are, you in, are you in Glasgow? No, no, I live in London, mate. I, I mean, I haven't lived in Glasgow quite a long time. Uh, but I... I... I uh, yeah, I've got. I, I'm mainly in London. I'm mainly in London, nearly all the time now. Aye. But I've got a lot of property in Wales, and uh, you know, I've lived quite a bit of my time in Wales for a long time now. You know, I mean, I've had a house here since '97. You know, very, very good. Did you learn the language? <laughs> no, uh, they're a good. I like Welsh people, though. You know, I, I, I'm. Are you friends with a lot of Welsh people? Or oh, you must, I, I have a, I, I have a big history with with, with, with Welsh boys. I uh, yeah, no. I was one of the the early employees with Concert Sound, and they were they were. Uh, it was the actually the road crew from a band called Man from the Man Band, and when the band I remember them. Aye, when the band broke up, they gave the roadies the PA, and the roadies built that wee company <laughs> for that. For that, and yeah. I, I never laughed so much in my life. No nonsense, you know. No nonsense sense of humour. Did you? Did you? I mean, you sound Glaswegian. Did you get? Were you Glaswegian? Did you? Were you born in Glasgow? No, I, I, I'm actually from Banknock. Right. Do you know right, where that right. is? Do you, do you even know where Banknock is? Fife. No, is it Fife? no, Stirlingshire. It's between Cosyth and Denny, and oh, Cosyth right, right, and right, Falkirk. Right. So Falkirk was seven miles to the east, yeah. and Stirling was about ten miles to the north. Right, it's right. Just when you come through Cumbernauld, if you blink, you'll miss it. Yeah. On the morning. I, I worked in a I worked in a building site in Cumberland Road when I was sixteen. Which one? God, I forgot. I can't so remember. Did, it was like so did it was I. new <laughs> new new houses. Nineteen seventy seven. I was sixteen, and uh, I worked in a building site there up there. It was grim, man. Do you know what I mean? I, I I did that as well for about a, a week and a half. Uh, at Abram, yeah. Abram Hill I was a brickies labourer and at the end yeah. of the first week I got my books and and <laughs> and one of the brickies said to me he said because they were on the grip these boys you had to keep running brick and muck to them you know and yeah, they'd, yeah. they'd be shouting muck muck brick brick and there was me and this other old boy and the old boy had a had a pace and I had no clue I was a boy yeah. uh, and, and and one of the brickies I'll never forget this we are sitting in the hut when I got my books and he said he said keep me gone in brick he said you couldn't keep a fucking budgie gone in seed <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was the end of my building career. Uh, but, I think I got I think I got tossed off that that site because there was a guy that was the gaffer of the site and he was quite a fucking idiot, right? But I, I can't help it. I wind people up if I don't like them, and I <laughs> and I saw him and I went. He, he, he was going round and he was just being horrible to people, and everybody was kind of pretty scared of him because you know. And I went, oh. And he turned out, okie, okie, okie. 
<laughs> I think he threw me off the side for it. Oh, but no. it was worth it because he was fucking humiliating. And all the people there were laughing at him. Do you know what I mean? And it was like, I just thought, you fucking deserve that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I used to wind people, and I still do, I used to wind people up. Uh, we had this one gaffer, and we used to call him Harpick. And, and somebody said, why are you calling him Harpick? I said, because he's clearing the bend. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what? The thing is... I, I don't. Th- I think I changed, Frank. I think I don't do it anymore. I used to just wind people up because I thought that was funny. And now I've got old, and I'm what sixty now, and I'm just like, you know what? Life's too fucking short to fucking piss people off. I just don't. I try not to now. Do you know what I mean? Aye. Well, and, uh, I, I, I like keeping them on side, but but letting them know that they're not in control. That's the oh, other. Yeah, yeah. A, 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 a wee bit just for a just for a for a lot. I'm going to be seventy three <laughs> on Thursday. And, and I'm, st- and I'm, I'm still, and I won't even tell you what the secret to being old is, but it's, you know, it's personal. <laughs> the anchor, the anchor. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but I, I think, uh, yeah, I just like I'm in shape. You know, I got myself in shape during a lot. you just got to stay in shape at the that's end of the day. That's it. Yeah, well, you know, are you in, are you in shape? Are you in shape? For oh, absolutely. I, 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 oh, I, I still, I still ice skate and I walk. As, oh, many, well, as, many, as many as many miles fine. a day, and you know, I stopped. Well, I stopped smoking a long time ago, but I stopped drinking and really? taking drugs twenty nine yeah. years, nearly thirty years ago. Yeah, uh, me, me a long time ago as well. You I, know what I, mean? I stopped everything, and and that if you're not doing that to yourself, first of all, you wake up with with two bob in your pocket. You know, yeah, I know, I know, and, I know. And, and you wake up in my clean, dry bed. So <laughs> I, I was, <laughs> I was going. I know, the, I know what you're saying to me. I know what you're saying there. You know what I mean? My mom used to tell me if you smoke, you'll never have a shilling in your pocket. You know, <laughs> and and she was actually when I stopped smoking cigarettes because they're expensive. And and what age were you when you stopped smoking? I, I, I stopped smoking cigarettes when I was about. 29, 30, 29, 29 yeah, is yeah, 30. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny, I, I just went cold turkey. And the next day yeah. I went to buy them and I, I was living in New York and I had a wee bodega in the building downstairs and I'd go in every morning and get my packet of Winston's and the guy yeah. pushed them, I didn't even have to ask, pushed them across the counter and I went, no. And then I broke down once at like five o'clock in the morning in a mud club behind Behind a bit, yeah. a bit of the devil's dandruff and some some vodkas, <laughs> some vodkas, and, and and that was it. I never smoked again, but I I smoked a lot of reefer. You know, I, I yeah. substituted, I chain smoked reefer. It was brilliant. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I I got I got I got I got clean with the drugs in '94, and then with the booze and about 15 years ago. So it's like you know, I've, and then. Bit by bit, I've just dragged myself back to reality. Do you know what I mean? Aye. Well, well, you know that the it got to be it got to be well, it got to be a wee problem for me, and it got to be, you know, my employment was at stake, and and my health yeah. was at stake, and and then I just I just in nineteen ninety one I I just stopped, but but what happened was um I I, I did a that wee concert sound company we were talking about, yeah yeah. Um, I, I built a restaurant above the Hope and Anchor in 1975. That was my me and my, me and my partner built. So I was off the road for two years, but I was still yeah. involved in it because it was the Hope and Anchor. Barry Marshall had his office above the laundrette. We had Bicknell yeah. and, and all the boys. Yeah. And they had they had concert sound. They had the roadies, yeah. what to that, and they had two wee sound systems. And so the restaurant's closing, and, and one of the guys for the sound company, Tag, came up and said... I said the restaurants. I'm I'm bailing. Uh, I'm bailing. Where, where have you go? And he said, Oh, thank God you asked. 
I've got these two yank bands coming in. I can't get anybody to do it. Can yeah. you, this is on a Friday. So can you go to Zurich on Tuesday and pick this tour up? And it was the Ramones <laughs> and Talking Heads. No, I'd, I'd been off the road for two years, but I'd still been kind of, you know, the Boomtown Rats and Elvis Costello and Graham Parker and yeah. Nick Lowe. I mean, I would see them. I would feed them. I would see them, the feel goods. Yeah. Everybody, the hope was a, was a wee mecca back then, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I went to, to see Shane in 19, when I first went to London, I went to London at uh, 19 in 1980, and, uh, and I went to see the Nips. Aye. I think it was, must have been summer of 1980. We saw the Nips, and that was Shane's band before the Pogues. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, it was great. It was I, I love the, the hope. So, so off I went to, to, to Zurich, and I picked these two Yank bands up, and, uh, and uh, Talking Heads had nobody, the Ramones had, had their guy. And so by default, I ended up mixing a support band who, who at yeah. that point had nothing out in England. They had one yeah. single out as an import, they didn't even have the record. Yeah. And that that uh, it's like uh, th- that ties into I, I think I've read a bit about you and I've seen a bit about you, but 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 that's not what I'm interested in. Everybody knows that, but you and I have got that. I think the same the same vibe is is uh, when you hear a live band and you go, oh I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, that's that's there's something there, and that's what happened to me. That three barely got a sound check support band, the usual first day of the tour. And the third song in, and then I heard Psycho Killer, and the hairs in the back of my neck stood up, and I went, wait a minute. And I went back, this is true, I went back after, I barely even knew their names. I went back after the show and said to them, said to Chris and Tina, and and I think David might even have been there, but Chris and Tina, it was was usually where the social thing ended up. It was their room or my room. Uh, And and I said, I have no idea what's going on here, but I went in. The very words, (laughs) the very words. Historical. Okay, so coming for a wee mining village, Banknoke, you know, and building houses yeah. in Cumbernauld, I was going, aye. So I went to New York for two days and uh, to do a two, two shows with them after the tour. They said, we've got no money, but we'll bring you in for a holiday. And at that time, I yeah. was living in Hemel Hempstead. And then they, yeah. said, they said, do you want to come and do you want to, do you want to stay? Do you want to come back? I said, let me see now. Hemel Hempstead, Manhattan. Oh, aye, right enough. <laughs> but, you know, so, so that, so that was it. But, but you, I, I, I think you, and I also when, when the, the, my producer put Alan Black put me on a, the, the turned me on to the Clockworks last week, and I was just, I just oh, loved really, it, yeah. instant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. instant. Yeah, great band. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and somebody said, "Well, how can you be a fucking punk at 73? I said, <laughs> "I said, I said, it doesn't change. Why would you change what you like? You know, this whole no, age I thing and rock and roll, the ageism I call it in rock yeah. and roll. I'll get to fuck." Yeah. I said, "I said, yeah. I've done things and been places, son. You've only seen in the movies. You know, <laughs> it's and 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 rock and roll afforded us that. You know, especially yeah. the live lifestyle." Oh uh, yeah. It's it's great. I mean, I think uh, that band, or I think they can they can really blow up. Do you know what I mean? I just think it's it's like it's building. You know, all the majors are starting to come in for it, and I think that's going to be a big band. Do you know what I mean? Uh, they're, they're, uh, smart lads as well, and oh yeah. But the yeah, social yeah, yeah. commentary, uh, I I love the fact that uh, it's topical and it's and uh, the social commentary is very very clever. Now you. What was your background growing up in in Glasgow musically? 
Um, was, uh, or, or actually sound. What was your earliest memory of hearing sound? Not even sound related to probably, music. Probably the obvious thing. I remember about eight, being seven or eight and watching Top of the Pops and, and watching Penny Lane. So that would be 68. And I, I'd be seven at a time. And I remember thinking, oh, you know. I, and then it, it, it took me to when the Blue and the Red album came out in 72, 73, I didn't. I didn't go. That was the Beatles at seven or eight. I just was like, oh, I like that tune, because I hadn't really connected with music in that way. And then when I connected with it, by the time I was about ten, eleven, and I was going to shows, I was going to all the gigs at the Greens uh, Playhouse. That's what it was called before it was called the Apollo. And uh, I, you know, and then I got the Blue and the Red album, and I was like, oh, it's the Beatles. And then they had all these other great songs. But I think it was probably the very first thing I ever heard was. Properly, I remember anyway. It was Penny Lane, and but then I, I was I got by the time I was about ten, Frank. I was into I I, I bought. I remember I was ten or eleven, and I bought the number one record. Been quite clueless about it, and I, and it was T Rex Get It On, and that was that was an incredible start because the, the records in seventy one in the charts were actually pretty good overall. So the number one was a good number one, and. Uh, you know, that was the beginning of it. And then it was like T-Rex, it was Slade, it was a sweet, Gary Glitter. Uh, and then it was like, you know, it was other stuff as well, though. I mean, because I, I, I was going to all the shows from about 11 year old on, I'd, I saw Bowie, uh, you know, Roxy, you know, all the, you know, you know, all the things that I just spoke about there. And, uh, and, and, and it was just, you know, I then started going to see Queen and blah, blah, blah. So by the time I was about 15 and I ran into the Sex Pistols, you know, on Listen Record Shop, do you remember that, in Renfield Street? And uh, there was a video, it was Johnny Rotten uh, having an epileptic fit sort of thing. And I went and brought Bobby Gillespie, who's my best pal. And I went I went back to Mount Florida where we lived, uh, south side of Glasgow. And I went come up and uh, to the town and we went in and I showed him it and he would have been... 14 and I was 15 and that was it we were in from December 76 or whatever it was we were in with the punk thing and that was us we were like bang into it and uh, that's how we got to know everybody we we knew we just knew all the early punk rockers but we weren't really tight because we were we were wee boys really and we were we looked like wee boys we were looked we looked as if we were like 12 instead of being 15 and 14 do you know what I mean Aye. but um and, and we weren't even really dressing like punks. We were dressing in sports clothes, really. Yeah, and, you know, like Adidas and stuff like that. So we weren't really particularly punky at that point, although we became that. And um, that's where we were at. We were just obsessed with punk. Uh, and I'd always, from about 10 or 11, Frank, because I'd seen T-Rex, I'd always wanted to be in music. But I didn't have the ability to really do it. I could play, but I was a bluffer. And uh, and then punk happened, and then you could, might me you might do it kind of shit, but you could play Sex Pistols and Ramon songs, couldn't you? You could get away with it, just about. And uh, that was my way in. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, well, you talk, but talking about the the early seventies, I I I was with uh, 
we, re- the remnants of the Nashville teens who had a, a hit with Tobacco Road. And I, I was yeah. living in Watford, in the pub in Watford, and the big singer used to drink this. I ended up being a roadie for them on the weekends and uh, flip, flipping burgers the rest of the time. I'd get in the van, yeah. get in the van on a Friday night stinking at onions, and they'd all go, what are you do-? They'd pick me up for the burger joint. They'd say, what are you doing? You're reeking. You know, <laughs> smell that onion. <laughs> You're minging onion. Anyway, and so the guitar player in that band called me up and he said, listen, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm jumping ship with the, with the teens. Uh, I've got this new gig. She's, she's an unknown, but Mickey Moe's working with her. And it was Susie Quattro. So I ended up for, for zero to 60 with Susie for a couple of years. And, uh, and it was Mickey Most. Now, you're a music guy. You're a music guy. Yeah. And so I've, I've, I've worked with Mickey Most, very closely with Mickey. Seymour yeah. C- Stein, who I know is another, another yeah. one. That's of, how I know you. Is it? I think it is. Uh, that, he spoke about you to me. Do you know that? Yeah, that's how I'll know you. Because cause I'm big friends with Seymour Stein. So, well, Seymour C- C- yeah. C- told me in his inimitable fashion when I, uh, when, I think it was we were at the Electric Factory in Manchester and he came over on that Ramones Talking Heads tour and he said, yeah. after a couple of days of, of watching me work, he said, you know, Frank, you're very important to this band. <laughs> and, and and that was, uh, but here's the first thing. I met him in New York up at the Sire offices on 74th Street in, in uh, Amsterdam. Yeah, man. I was in New York three or four days, and the only people I knew were the talking heads, and then they took me to the people at Sire. And uh, yeah. and I, they were the first, like, literally, I was still jet-lagged talking to these people and going around the Sire office. And Seymour heard me talking, and he came up to me and started singing verbatim, just a wee dog in Doris. <laughs> Seymour, wait here, Seymour bought the original sheet music at auction for all of Harry Lauder's catalogue. Yeah, he knew, he knows every fucking Harry Lauder song better than any Scotsman. No, I know, I, I listen, you know, I've hung out loads with Seymour. Seymour signed off of me. Seymour had a second wave, right? And I was part of that second wave. And that was the early 90s, because he had the punk wave. Aye. And then he had the, the Madonna phenomenon thing that had went. And then he kind of, Sire was, it was only really known as the Madonna thing, really, by the time I got to him, about 1990. That's when I properly started. And he started signing all my bands. He signed Primal Scream. He signed um, Ride. He signed My Body Valentine. And they were kind of our, and they were our American partner for quite a long time, you know. Yeah. He took me one night to see Lou Reed, and I was sitting watching it. It was Lou Reed and John Cale. It was nineteen eighty nine, and uh, and then he goes, "Alan, let's go back and meet Lou." And I was like, "I don't want to meet him." And he went, "No." <laughs> so we go on back to meet Lou Reed, and we walk in, Frank, and there's a bit. Remember when he was like. Going through his Hell's Angel phase. Do you remember that? Aye, aye, the leather jacket. Yeah, so I walk out in and there's like Lou Reed, his missus, who I think was his manager, maybe. Uh, this is before Laurie Anderson. Uh, and uh, and 12 Hell's Angels in this dressing room. It was really small. And then, so that would put anybody on the back foot. And then he brought, brought me up to Lou Reed and he goes, Lou, Lou, it's Alan McGee from Scotland. And Lou looks at me as if like, you cunt, what are you doing here? And I was like, because I knew Lou Reed would be like that, Frank, I was actually all right about it. I was like, all right, whatever. But then Seymour being mental went, no, no. 
Like, Lou, Alan signs all the best bands in the UK. And like, so then Lou's shaking my hand, but you could see he's just, and I thought, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a worn of suit that he probably was always, Timo was always doing that to. So I was, I had to just go, oh, yeah. But look, it was fine because, you know what, if it, David Bowie had done that to me, I would have been gutted. But you kind of expect Lurie to be a bit, a bit of a cunt, to be honest. Oh, oh I, I, that was his, his MO. Uh, I, I also ran Irving Plaza in one of its incarnations in Manhattan for, oh, for two years. I opened it with some some uh, money guys, God rest their souls, they're yeah. all dead. Andy Dunkley, the DJ, uh, yeah. and and I and I was the I, I booked the talent and ran the and ran the joint uh, uh, yeah, yeah. for a couple of years. So so we had some amazing um, uh, just amazing memories in New York. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was a great. I mean, when we first went over there, I went over because it because we got a lucky break really early because I came to London and I started the label. I started the club, then I started the label, and um, and then I was like, I found this band, the Gisimation, put the record out, Frank, and it went mental. And within about two singles. We were at the Danceteria with Ruth Polsky. I was there. She, she I was, us over. I, I was, right. I was really? at that show. Right. And well, that was like two singles in. And I got a call for Ruth Polsky. He goes, Alan, do you want to come and bring the band over? I want to put them on in New York. And it was like, we went, we flew out. And it was like, there was nobody really came to see us. People like yourself, there was a few, maybe about 100 hipsters. But, and then there was about, for what I remember, there was about 200 roller skaters. <laughs> oh, it's skating as the Jeans the Mary Chain put the first New York show to really nobody about 100 people I was uh, I was one of them I know you were I mean when you tell me that yeah yeah you mix sound once I, I hear um, uh, uh, heavily I, I, drugged at the time <laughs> well I mean I've done something I mean weirdly Ke- I had this band My Bloody Valentine and uh, Kevin used to sack the sound guy and I, I, I mean, like I've I've done the sound for the Mary Chain, I've done the sound for the Valentines, you know. And I, 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 one of the, it's not that I'm particularly, I'm not a talent in that thing. I can probably just about get by. But but what I did understand about both these bands is volume is king, Aye. and it's probably more about volume than it is about anything else. So that's what he, Kevin liked about it when when I was mixing my bloody Valentine. Do you know what I mean? And I. When I brought the Mary Chain back five or six years ago, and uh, we brought that album Psycho Candy, we took it around the world. And I initially, not all the, they were, we were getting them good sound guys. We were getting them like killing joke sound guy and all that sort of stuff, right? And uh, nobody was really getting it. And really, Frank, it sounds mad, but what all I did really was turn that really properly up, make it ear blisteringly loud, and get William's guitar at the front of the mix. And people were like blown away. They were like, what was that? Do you know what I mean? A lot of the time you just got to give it well, haven't you? Do you know what I mean? Do you know my bloody Valentine? You, I mean, if you did talk your heads, you must know my bloody Valentine. No, Do you know the music? No, no, really. No, oh, really. No, all right. Well, it's, it's really, really, uh, and they call it shoegaze now, but it's just psychedelic noise music. It's great. And and, and a bit, yeah, yeah, loveless. I, I, I sold the record to Seymour for America and, and he put it out. But anyway, I um, I remember when I first got that record, Frank, it was about 19, uh, early 90, and Kevin, it was it was the EP before Loveless, it was soon, and a, three other tracks, I can't remember what it was called, 
And I remember getting that EP and it was just, or maybe it was the second EP. I think it was the second EP. It was the one after that. And uh, Kevin sent it. And I, I remember phoning him up and going, I think you've said it's a dodgy cassette tape. And he was like, <laughs> really annoying for me. God, that's the sound of the fucking record. What are you going on about? I was like, oh, I had to really backpedal. But the truth was, you know, nobody was making records. Like, it was like music with fluff in the needle, if you know what I'm trying to say. Do you uh, know what I mean? Uh, and nobody was really making anything like that. Do you know what I mean? That was willfully obscure, but still had great pop sensibilities on it and the tunes. And, and uh, you know, so it wasn't really that shocking that I thought it's a distorted tape. You know what I mean? I, I, think, I think with my thing, it was just, I, I got a run of bands, Frank. And I got lucky. I got real. I got lucky really fucking early. I got the Mary chain, and that blew up. And then I got a rep off that. And then, uh, then I got House of Love, My Bloody Valentine. They both went gold, gold records. So I, I'd had three gold records in my early twenties, like the Mary chain, uh, the Valentines, and the House of Love. And from that. A, I could fund the label a little, a little bit properly. Not, not properly, but a little bit. I could make records, and then, and then, Acid House happened, and we got lucky. Primal Screen became the thing because I got them the right producer, Andy Weatherall, and uh, and then from then on, in it was a, it, it was a mad ride. Do you know what I mean? You know, and uh, I'm not really a businessy person, not really, and uh, and that was always difficult because I had to really teach myself the music business. But I managed to eventually conquer that. But it was a, but that's where it was. It was just, I, I was this music fan. I wasn't really, and I still am not really, I'm not that different to that kid in Glasgow that was going to the gigs, you know what I mean? But it's just now I've learned how to, to have hits, you know what I mean, and put records out, you know? It seems to me that, that for you it was always about the song and always about the vibe yeah, coming, yeah, coming off the stage. Did, the, yeah. did, did, did listening to bands and going to gigs where the sound was shite uh, and still seeing the song and, and the vibe through that. Did that happen to you as well? Yeah, I mean, most of the great bands like Oasis and people like that were signed for gigs, do you know what I mean? Um, uh-huh. You know, I mean, if I went through it all, fan club, teenage fan club from a gig, uh, I usually always checked them out live and if they could do it live, I was like, I was in, right that band Ride from a gig. Um, but then other bands like Libertines and The Hives and stuff like that, that was that was another way, I, you know, I like the, with the, the Libertines, I got asked by the record company to manage them because they were such a handful. A public handful. Oh, yeah, they were, they were terrible. But I was like, as in, like, they're, they're nice people, but I'm a total handful. Uh, and then a and then the hives. Actually, I had signed a hive from seeing them on the telly in Germany about half one in the morning, and I phoned up the office and I said, "Oh, there's this band called the Hives," and they found out who they were, and they went, "Oh, they're this uh, Swedish punk band, McGee. Uh, they're in um, they're in Sweden, and they failed." They've got the the second album's come out. It sold six hundred copies worldwide, and they're about to be dropped. And I said, offer the record company. What did we offer them? I think we offered them five thousand dollars or two thousand something really minimal. Uh, 
for a five-year contract on the two albums. That, and, and I said, I want American and English rights and I'll recompile the first two albums. And that was your new favourite band. And that came out, Frank, uh, and it blew up. It did 400,000 in England and it did about a million in America. And it was, it, so there was different ways that I would connect with bands. My clockwork to the band, you've, you've done that uh, thing with. I, uh, I, I, how that one happened is that they, um, they messaged me on Instagram and I, I liked the track they sent me and then I went to a rehearsal. But even then it was a live performance because they'd done a, they'd done a gig for me in a rehearsal studio essentially and James, the kid singer, would write some words, went mental. And uh, and I was like blown away, and then I started working with them. Do you know what I mean? So, but it usually comes from a live thing because it's naked. You can't, you can't, you can't lie. You have to do it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, Glasgow's pretty incredible. Well, not even Glasgow. Scotland's pretty incredible because the amount of bands that have come out of Scotland. I mean, it's kind of mad, Scotland, because there's only five million years. I know. Come? I know. And and even that Britpop thing, I found Oasis in King Tut's. Do you know that? I, I found him in a wee Scottish venue. And it's like, you know, it's crazy. Scotland has given the world so much music. I mean, much more than, you know, much more much more than Wales. Much more, and I'm not being controversial. I live in Wales, what I'm saying. <laughs> but it's like, but much more than Wales, much more than Belgium. Much per, more oh, aye. Per, France, cap, per capita. Per capita. Yeah. Na- more than France. Na- arguably more than Germany. Do you know what I mean? I just like, okay, America's ahead of us. England's ahead of us. I accept all that. But but you know what? Scotland, a wee country, it's unbelievable. Do you know what I mean? Aye. Well, you must be an incredible sound guy. For the bands that you've worked with to the level that they went to, like Simple Minds and Talking Heads, I mean, you must be incredible. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm a chancer. I'm, I'm a fucking chancer. Are you? Right? I'm a chancer. Like, I think, of you course know what you the are. thing is? Of course but, but most... <laughs> people and they can't actually admit to that but half the time i make it up on the spot i still fucking do, do exactly. you know what I mean? half, the, exactly. half the time i'm like all right okay he's been arrested what do i do all right and then it's kind of like that do you know what i mean that's kind of management damagement isn't it you know what i mean I, I, oh we, we <laughs> and then i became a road manager when when i got sober because up to that point I was just a sound guy until until you know yeah. I, I cleaned up in 90, 91. and then yeah. then I then I because before that they go fucking Gallagher with the money are you kidding <laughs> you fucking kid I said they said he'll fucking he'll tan it he'll fucking tan he'll tan the float don't give him a float he'll fucking gub it <laughs> and they were fucking right but by, by the way they were fucking right but but. But uh, then when I stopped, and then and then I became the road manager because I, I knew how to do it. I mean, yeah. I'd been, a, I'd, yeah. I'd made road managers' lives fucking hell. We, talking heads had a road, <laughs> talking heads had a road manager, and we, and we were in we were in Paris, and I was at the height of my fucking madness, and we had this boy, and and uh, I was banging on his hotel room door for an advance on <laughs> next week's per diem. I was probably two weeks ahead on per diem because I'd, I'd I'd fucking gubbed it, and he wouldn't open the door. And, I, and, and it's the stuff of legend because David Byrne was coming down the hall, saw me banging on the door, shouting, Give me my fucking money. Give me my money. <laughs> Eventually, he pushed a fucking bundle of francs under the door. He went to open his door for me. <laughs> so, me being the road manager, people couldn't believe that when it, when I started. So, because, so, you know, it's logistics, it's, it's, uh, but it's also handling people and hand, handling the crew and handling yeah. the band. And you had to be a, 
yeah, you, you know, it's psychology. And I, and now I t t tell roadies when we're setting up, because I'm do. i the production manager and I mix the B-52s now, and I tell, oh, uh, tell my crew, I say, listen, if anything goes wrong here during the day while we're setting up, never, ever let on to the band. Yeah. Never tell them anything. If they don't hear about it, it's never happened. You, yeah. You know, and I had some bands yeah. who, who would who would say, uh, they, they complain about the fucking rider, you know, I complain that the <laughs> salmon was cold. I said, oh, I don't eat it then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my salmon's cold. Oh, really? I'll just leave it. <laughs> the punter doesn't realise the psychology behind getting a band on stage and the stuff that can go wrong, the very minor stuff, a button came off their blouse, you know. Oh, yeah. dear, I ripped my tights. Aye, yeah. all right. <laughs> Well, send out for me. Oh, it's a crazy, it's a crazy game, mate. It's an absolute crazy game. Do you know uh, what I mean? Aye. And uh, you just, you just got to, uh, I mean, you just got to get through it and make sure, as long as the shows are good and people don't lose their minds, then you're probably uh, doing quite well. Do you know uh, what I mean? You know? Aye. Uh, but, I mean, if you stay out in the road for a long time, if you get a hit record, then people go mad. Do you know what I mean? That's just the way, that is just the way it goes. It's a bit like people say, Oh, wait, you sold all these records. Did it not affect you? And go, yeah, of course it fucking affect, affected the bands, affected me, affected everybody because it's like, it was insane. Do you know what I mean? It was like, you know, like not nobody coming from our backgrounds, you know, was, was meant to do that well. Do you know what I mean? And, and then uh, when you I, sell the records, I, you get the cash, you get the drugs, you get the girls. It's like, you know, you, you go mad for a little bit. Do you know what I mean? And if you're lucky, you survive it. Do you know what I mean? I make sound... Um, oh, well, should I say organically? But I know what I know what I, I know what I want, and I've got a vibe. Now another guy can come up with the same band and the same gear, the same mixer, and yeah. it will no sound the same as Frank Gallagher doing it. That's yeah. that's the difference. And people say, "What is it?" I say, "I don't fucking know. I just do what I do." And it's I don't go with bells and whistles. I don't use plugins. I don't go mad with reverbs. None of that. You know, any I think sound, I think sound, especially when I was last time I had a proper real go at it was when I done that Mary Chain tour, that South Candy tour, and I was managing them, but I also ended up doing the sound in that tour and uh, over Europe and everything. And it, it was just, and I'm not a sound guy, but I, I, I think all it is is I've got a feel for that band and I can do it with that band. Do you know aye, what I mean? I think aye. if you, I think if you can tune into that band and go, I know what's important about that band. It's William Reed's guitar, and then everything else makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and I think that's all it is. It's, it's, I've just got a feel for that one band, or, or, or back in the day, I had a feel for mixing the Valentines as well, you know? Aye, well, the the B-52s with the three voices, and when those two girls, when those two girls harmonise, that's unique. Nobody else can do that. Yeah, I love that band. Give me back my man. What a tune. Live these days too, they're incredible. Sterling Campbell, the drummer, played with David yeah. Bowie, Duran Duran, yeah. yeah. Tracy Wormworth, the bass player, played with Sting, amongst others. Uh, the, the guitar player we've got right now is is the guitar player for uh, American Idol. He was Joe Walsh's guitar player. He, he was he he was uh, who's the other geezer? Another geezer for the for the Eagles. Uh, he, so he's. We've got a we've got a great wee band, but uh, the thing about the B fifty twos is, as soon as they open their mouths, there's nobody like them. 
and that's yeah. and that's and that's what keeps it going. People go where they're still going. Why would we yeah. stop if it's fucking great? People are coming, yeah. we're selling out, and people yeah. we bring joy. That's what we're doing right now. People say, yeah. "What do you do for a living?" I said, "We bring joy," and <laughs> and with and with a bit of luck, we empty wallets. You know, <laughs> at the, on the back end. So. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah, uh, they're, 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 they're absolutely amazing. Aye, well, I, I, I hope that we can, we can have a cup of tea together next year. So oh, definitely, man. I'm going to do a wee, I'm going to do a wee cookbook as well. Um, backstage, backstage recipes. <laughs> as long as it's a lot, as long, not, yeah, yeah, as long it, as you're not, you're, you're not cooking up the wrong stuff, mate. It'll not, be great. No, the, 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 <laughs> uh, 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 one thing we I, I learned was you you'd go to a gig and you'd you'd know that right from lunch how ticket sales were yeah. without even asking because you get fucking yeah. three day old lasagna and a Caesar salad. That's where the catering <laughs> budget would be slashed, and you knew that nobody was coming that night. You know, <laughs> how are ticket sales uh, lasagna? That's uh, <laughs> it's for three gigs ago, you know. It's a, it's a, it's a laugh. Well, listen, uh, good talk, this, to you, man. This has been brilliant. This has been brilliant. And that's and, good. And, I've uh, got your number now, Frank, and, I, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll keep in touch with you. And uh, I'll, 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 anybody you, you, you know, like you ping me some if you want, if you want him. You know, if I can connect you with somebody, I'll ping you their number. Aye, right. that, that'd be brilliant. That'd be brilliant. All right, mate. All right, All right my be son. Cool. Be Love good. To talk to you. All right, bye. Bye. Tune in next week for my chat with one of the label's stellar new bands, The Clockworks. They're going to be massive. Soundman Confidential is produced by Alan Black and Chet Bentley. Web design by Adelaide Bell. Original music by Paul Westwater publicity by Paddy DeVries at Devious Planet Media. <laughs>